Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. So it was a pretty good few days for Manchester City as a whole this week. A win at Sheffield United on Saturday, success in the Women's FA Cup Final on Sunday, a victory for the kids in the Youth Cup Final on Monday, and then a 3-0 win over Olympiacos in the Champions League on Tuesday. Not a bad way to do the week, all told. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where it's time to look ahead to perhaps the first big test of the season for City, as Liverpool come to town at the weekend. How well is Pep Guardiola's side doing ahead of the game, given that chances can look at a premium at times, but the defence is at least looking more solid. Later in the show we'll be hearing from former City captain Kit Simons and we'll be taking a trip down memory lane to one of the least illustrious competitions that City have ever won three times, the Thomas Cook Trophy. I'm David Mooney, with me this week is Goal.com's City correspondent Jonathan Smith. Hi David. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello mate, you right. I'm not too bad, thanks. You both well folks. Is uh, John everything, everything well? All good, yeah, yeah. Jack, uh, how are you doing these days? Alright, yeah, not bad. Not good, bad. Good. Lockdown. Lockdown and locked in. Yeah, there we go. So nothing more to do but talk about football. So here we are. Um, John, you said last time that you were on the show, uh, this season is is very much survival of the the fittest. It's it's about results and not displays. Uh, Given that, how do you think City are doing right now? Well, getting results and displays aren't as good as they have been in recent years. But, uh, you know, I sort of stand by that, what I said. It's... (laughs) I, particularly looking ahead to this game against Liverpool, it's all about the result. Um, I don't think they can make too much. They can't work too much in training. They can't work on too thing, on things too much. So, just getting through the results, ticking them off one by one, getting as many wins as they can. Obviously, West Ham wasn't uh, a brilliant performance or a brilliant result. But apart from that, you know, Champions League and uh, and the win against Sheffield United, it, it's going okay. Yeah, Jack, is it is it unfair to call the last two games? I mean, given that City won 3-0 against Olympiacos, is it unfair to call these games laboured wins? Um, they, I mean, they, they struggled to, to break Olympiacos down in the second half the other night. Um, I think it's definitely fair to say that. And they, they laboured to it. Laboured to the win to a certain degree, but then you know if you look look at the stats, look at the result after the game, you and you'd not watched it, you'd gone well. That was perfectly routine, and they've ground them down and then scored two goals in the last ten minutes. Um, and you, I mean, you look at the chances that Olympiacos and, and Sheffield United had, and they, they were at a minimum, weren't they? They were minimal, but you know Lundstrom's chance is a really good chance last weekend, and uh, Valbuena's chance. Well, it's guilt edge, isn't it? It's a, it's a tapping. You should score. Uh, and then those go in, and then the the the, the games change massively, uh, and then City have to go and win the game again, don't they? Because it would have been one all in, in in both matches if those those chances had gone in. So I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard to call because, as John said, it's not they're not playing they're not playing as well as they have done um, in recent seasons. Um, they're still missing chances, but not creating the same amount. So the missed chances at the moment. 
uh, feel bigger than they did this time last year. Yeah. But then again, they are looking more solid. So it's, it, it's really difficult to, to sum up. And then, you know, you'd, you look at the West Ham game. If they if they'd somehow managed to get a, get a win at West Ham, did a one did end up winning like seven on the trot or whatever it is, and it was, it's looking really rosy. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of creativity, John, how why is that such a big problem at the moment? Because like ultimately, these are still great players that City have got. They should be able to create chances. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're without a striker. I think Ferran Torres has done a really really good job as an emergency number nine. But obviously, you know, Aguero's one of the best strikers in the world and has been for the last decade and his movement and things like that are just natural. Um, so uh, it's not always down to the person who makes the pass, it's the person who makes the run to create the pass. Uh, so I think that they've obviously missed that. Um, I don't, don't think they're at the sharpest yet. Uh, De Bruyne has been, he was clearly absolutely shattered after the international break. Uh, he's, he's getting back to his best. Obviously, two assists against uh, Olympiacos. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just not many options. A bit of a lack of freshness. Still, he's been okay. Mares a bit mixed. The thing, the thing I'm finding odd though, like, like when I think of that game at, at Bramall Lane, that like there was two instances where. City had the ball like pretty much within touching distance of uh, of the near post and still couldn't find a way to get it into the net. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, they did, they did create, I think they had 16 efforts on target against Sheffield United. Sorry, 16 shots, eight on target, which is pretty good. Even, you know, that stat holds up with City at their absolute best and they've not taken the chances. They could have... They could have won that game much more comfortably, but like Jack says, it's you know it's on a knife edge. If they had Sheffield United had that one opportunity, and if they'd taken it, that would have been a, a huge blow. But so I, I think you just roll with it and just keep going. I think I think they're getting better with each game. I thought first half an hour against Olympiacos was as well as they played this season, probably. That was that was that was the best they've played in a long time. First half hour of Olympiacos. Um... But Foden was great first half hour. Obviously, trailed off towards the end and um, had a significant part to play in the Valbuena chance. But I, the interesting thing first half the other night was I thought Zinchenko played really well actually in moving into midfield because obviously they only played the one uh, anchorman in the three. Zinchenko moving into midfield allowed Foden to go and play with Sterling a bit more and push Olympiakos back on their right hand side. I think they got loads and loads of joy like that. So you quite like to see Foden playing in a three more often and getting him really, really close to Sterling, because that's how, that's how they're going to break these teams down that that play that sit on the on the edge of their own box. You need quick players like Foden and Sterling to nip round them and play these one touch passes. Like the, that's where the the first goal came from, wasn't it? In that Torres has played a really quick ball to De Bruyne, knows where it's going, runs off, and then the ball's in the net. Like. In previous games, it's not been that quick and it's not been that sharp. Yeah, wonder whether they've actually they're actually trying to they're actually getting that back now. And you'll you'll see the first half hour against Olympiacos, you might see that become 
55, 60 minutes in games now, and then in a few weeks' time, it then becomes a full a full 90 minutes in the back of business. Is, is that the sort of thing that could stretch the pitch at that end of the field, though, Jack? Because I, like, I know a lot of fans recently have been talking, and we've talked about it endlessly on, on the last couple of shows, about City's problems when they play inverted wingers and, and just kind of, and it ends up narrowing the top end of the pitch. If they can stretch it by getting, you know, Foden out to the left a bit more, and and by maybe having Walker off of the width on the right hand side instead, it's that and is that a solution to City's kind of creativity problems in recent? Weeks? I think it was a yeah, I think it was a solution the other night. I think it worked really well, um, but then it didn't it didn't really create the, the clear cut chances that you would expect them to. Um, I think with the with the inverted wingers, ideally you'd want two fullbacks who are able and willing to run from their own byline to the other byline and back again all game. But they don't have that, do they? Um, without Mendy, they don't have that. Um, and I suppose there's an argument even with Mendy that they, they, Mendy's not the same as he was a couple of years. Yeah, he's not, he's not the player from, what, 2017 or so, is he? So. No, no. Um, I just think with the inverted, with, if you're going to play the inverted wingers, and he seems wedded to the idea of playing Sterling on the left, even though I'd quite like to see him on the right and, and, and coming in and finishing moves off like he used to. Uh, with that, you need you, you do need your full-backs to occupy the space in midfield. And I think Zinchenko is the one that has really, really grasped that. I mean, there's obviously pitfalls in playing Zinchenko defensively and individual mistakes and all that, all that goes with, with playing him. But from an attacking point of view, I think he offers them a lot. And probably more than... I know Cancelo's played relatively well on the left-hand side the last few weeks. But I think there's just a little bit more... It's a bit more precise when Zinchenko plays there. It's a bit more like chess, which is how Pep wants to play. Whereas if you've got Cancelo up and, up and down on the left-hand side on his wrong foot, it doesn't give him quite the same balance. Yeah. Um Jack mentioned Ferran Torres there, John. Um he's he's starting to look quite a useful little player, isn't he? Yeah, I think we kind of forgot about him a little bit when he was signed so early in the window. Um I think the comparisons were going to be with, with Sane and Sane was so explosive that it was would be difficult to, to get close to his impact. But he's you know, he's he's really getting to grips with what he's been asked to do. Um, he's not a striker, but he's done a really, really good job there. You know, his movement off the ball, his runs are just really, really good. Um, and he's probably a bit unlucky to not have more goals. I'm looking forward to seeing him playing as an out-and-out winger, which is what he was signed for. Um, and down, down the left-hand side as well. Well, I was uh, going to ask this: where Where do you think he fits best into the team? Just Just compared to where he's been playing recently? Yeah, well, I think he's. I, th- I think he's a winger, and I think he he is. He can be a bit more direct in the way that Sane was. With you know, he's, he has. He's very very quick. Um, so I think yeah, that's that. That's his long long term future, and I, I think if they can get Aguero and Jesus back after the international break. Sterling's looking sharp, Torres, uh, Foden, then you're really getting competition for places there. Uh, and, and that's going to help them push on this season. Torres is interesting because he fancies himself as a as a left-sided winger on the on the left of a of a three. Whereas people that know him and have, have watched him in the last few years say he's definitely a right winger. But he actually 
sees himself as someone who should play on, on the left. I don't know whether that's like younger players now who who are wide players, and Sterling's the same. Sterling would far rather play on the left than he would the right, purely because you get more opportunities to score, and it's it's in your it's in your hands, isn't it? When you get the ball on the left hand side of the box as a right footed player, you can manufacture a chance for yourself. Yeah, um, if, you're, if you're Sterling on the right hand side, you need you need somebody else to to put it on the plate for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and the younger players all want to play on the left, or the right-footed ones want to play on the left because they can they can create the chances themselves. God, you know, I'd have just been happy to play. <laughs> I well, I, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> just be happy to be there, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, Torres, Torres is looking like an absolute bargain already, though. Yeah, I and mean, that is a hell of a deal. Do you know? Have you seen the stat that's been doing the doing the rounds since he uh, since he scored in the, in the Champions League on on Tuesday night? That he's mm. the third youngest player to four consecutive Champions League goals. Uh, only Mbappe and Haaland have beaten him to it on that on that front. Good I mean, it's, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a good club to be a part of, isn't it? Yeah, and he's got that. I think he's got that instinct in front of goal. I think he's just. I mean, Pep said it on after the Sheffield United game. You can always tell with with Pep when he actually genuinely means something because his his like hands start moving. And when he <laughs> talks about when he talks about like an attacking player, he always says like sense or smell of goal. But his his thumb and his index finger come together and you can just tell that he means it. And that's what he did with Torres. And they they've obviously seen someone who can get him I'm not saying this season, but someone who can get him fifteen goals in a in a year. Yeah. But if you look at the goals this season, the way he the way he took them they're all slightly different. With the one of Burnley, he's, he's finished with a sort of powerful strike into the bottom corner. The, the one against Porto, in the, he smacked into the top corner. The way away at Marseille, he's, he's seen the keeper came out, come out, and and slightly delayed his Great shot. Finish, and then against uh, Olympiacos, he he's had a look up and put it underneath the keeper. Yeah. So he was unlucky not to get one at, at Bramall Lane as well. It was a great save that that, that yeah. kept that one out. But it's just the, just the way that the, it there's a control to his finishes, um, which which is impressive, uh, which you know, is is a sort of thing that Aguero and, and Jesus do a natural natural instinct for finishing there. So the way the way he took the one the other night reminded me of Michael Owen when he was younger. Yeah, I know. He just looks so clean. Yeah, composed as well. That's the thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, Jack, when you were talking there about Pep and his hand signals, uh, I just got I, I just got that gif of uh, John Stones has balls. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, there, yeah. There've been there've been a few a few moments over the last four years where you've gone, that is uh, that's funny, and that yeah. will make its way onto Twitter. Yeah, it'd be a uh, gif. It'd be a gif that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's, what, what are the best ones? But John was the one at Swansea. There was a wink at Swansea, wasn't there? It's on a couple of winks. Um, there was the one, I think there was one where uh, James said he won, James Ducker said he won five trophies and he said six and pulled a funny face at him. <laughs> that was a good one. The one where, the, the one in the first season when they'd won 10 on the trot and uh, Jamie had asked him whether they could win everything. Was a good one as well. Where he <laughs> yeah, just, he dropped his head or just started sighing or something. It just that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah I think he dropped the f bomb on that one, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he did. Um, but anyway, I was I was bringing it around to Stones because um, uh, it, 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 was it a surprise to see him start against Olympiacos? 
Big surprise, yeah. I was um I didn't think he'd I didn't think he'd start. I thought he played one of Diaz or or Laporte, particularly as he'd um as he was bigging up the smaller teams in the Champions League twenty four hours earlier. Uh, I didn't think he'd I didn't think he'd throw stones in. It was good that he did. Um and I thought Stones played well. I thought he did okay. Um I think I gave him a seven. And I thought he did all right at at Wolves as well, the first game of the season. So he's had two Two opportunities there in six weeks or however long it is, two starts, and they've done. Uh, he's done well in both of them, which has got to be got to be a good thing. It's just the injuries, though, isn't it? That's the that's the problem. Well, I think, yeah, there's the, obviously there's the injuries and, and managing his his fitness and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's the confidence as well. His confidence absolutely has been shot for two years, um, and it is taking him a long time to to get back to the player that he was and obviously trust trusting him has been eroded, has been eroded with the manager and you don't need to know anything to know that you just you yeah. just see that he just doesn't play anymore does he um but he's definitely I think John will back me up with this I think he's definitely definitely a better option than playing Eric Garcia yeah he's got to, I, Stones I, has got to be the fourth choice this year got to be I I I, I think that maybe Stones has had all these chances that he was going to be given, but circumstances may just give him one more chance in that Garcia doesn't want to be there, could well leave in January. Um, and I just don't... Th- uh, you know, if you're going to look look towards the future, right, John Stones might not be the future, but he's a, he's got more of a chance than Garcia has. And I think, yeah, like Jack says, he needs to be... The sec- uh, he needs to be the fourth choice. I, th- I get the impression that the reason possibly that Garcia played the last two games he did was because he was short of a, a left-sided centre-back with both Laporte and a- Ake unavailable. Um, and I think maybe it's now going to be on the left, Laporte and then Ake, and on the right, Stones, uh, Diaz, Diaz and Stones, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Stones has got to be looking at those... Those two uh, two group gate, hopefully games five and six in a group that won't mean anything. He's got to play those, and he's got to be looking at the the Carabao Cup game before Christmas. Um, he's got to be playing that, and then if he can add a couple of Premier League appearances as well in that time, one or two like Fulham at home or something like that, it just gives him a little bit of momentum, a bit of foundation. Yeah. Um... Uh, just looking at the defence as well, because uh, Jack, it's now uh, three consecutive clean sheets for the, in, in all competitions for the first time in 60 matches uh, for City. Um, and I suppose if you're not going to score that many, having a solid defence, is a, it's a pretty good time to have a solid defence, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that's... Um, and yeah, Laporte and, and, and Diaz uh, are already looking like a very strong strong partnership, uh, which has been, to be honest, is a bit of a surprise that that's, that's clicked quite so quickly. Um, I was certainly wasn't expecting that, but I mean, from the if you take the Marseille and Sheffield United games because that's when those two played, they've not given up. They, they've not really given up. I can't remember Marseille having a proper chance in that in that match. I might be wrong. And Sheffield United only had the the one John Lundstrom opportunity, and that's yeah, the two centre halves are a big part of that. But that's a that's a team effort. Yeah. That that means they're all working properly, which 
is more. I think that will probably fill them with more the management with more confidence than merely Diaz and Laporte clicking together. Because um, I think they worked. They, all right, Sheffield United was a bit slow and it was boring, but they ground it out. And do, do you think City? Control. Do you think City have come through that that kind of rocky eighteen months that they've had? I think it's a bit early to say. Yeah, on that. Yeah, I think Liverpool will be a real sort of test on that. I mean the the way that uh, the, the way that Leon scored their goals. I don't think City have really played a team like that apart from Leicester. And Leicester scored five, so. So maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I don't think you, you can't say that on the back of, of three results and three games that they should have won. Um, anything less than three victories out of those three games would have, would have, wouldn't have been good enough, would it? Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Well, uh, final point for the first part of the show on Carl uh, Walker, because he got all the attention on Saturday and, and quite rightly so. Um, John, he's 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 suddenly out of nowhere getting the plaudits that I think he's probably deserved for quite some time. Do you think? Yeah, and I think he's getting better. Actually, I think he's each season he's getting a little bit better. He seems faster than ever. Um, he seems stronger than ever, and I think he really gets uh, how to play in a, in a pep team. I think he really knows what his role is. I still, you know. I th- there are still occasions where he gets caught out. The penalty, there's a penalty against Leicester. Um, a, a couple of times, you know, I think back to the Arsenal goal in the FA Cup final, FA Cup semi-final, where he didn't really anticipate what was happening. Um, so he's not flawless, but he's been very, very good for a number of seasons. And I sort of argued the case at the weekend in the piece I wrote that. He's possibly Pep's best and most consistent signing that has joined the club during, his, during Guardiola's time there. I mean, I think maybe Laporte is probably the best, but he missed six months of the season with an injury. So so I'll go for maybe Walker as being the most consistently uh, important player that he signed. He is really, he's really close with the manager as well. I don't think people realise quite how close they are. Um, and Pep's told people that he sees Walker as like kind of City's equivalent to Philip Lahm in that it just understands the game and knows exactly what is required of him, which I don't think people really give Walker the credit he deserves from a football intelligence point of view. I think he just got it instantly, didn't he, with Pep? He just, he didn't really need that much, that much coaching. I mean, when his form, because his form did dip a couple of years ago, didn't it? Um, and that was because he didn't he didn't have any uh he didn't have someone behind him pushing him for that place, he didn't have any competition. Well it's Danilo, um, wasn't it? And it was, Yeah, until yeah. Cancelo came in and then it was noticeable last year, particularly towards the end of the season when Cancelo was or after Project Restart when Cancelo had like sorted out his own problems with the club and um he was becoming less of a he was less of a nuisance and was starting to play quite well, that Walker actually went up another couple of levels because he knew that he had someone behind him. He needs someone pushing him. Um, and I think Cancelo has actually been quite a, quite a positive influence for for Walker, who every single week, 7, 8 out of 10, um, and is getting, as you said before, he's getting stronger with age. I mean, on the telly the other night, I can't remember what 
ex-pro it was, but they were talking about how they felt when they like turned 30, that for a couple of years, they felt like a far better player than, they, than they'd been before. And they were on with Rio Ferdinand, who, and Ferdinand turned around and said, well, I, feel, I felt the complete opposite. I thought I was coming toward the end at like 28, 29. Well, I think certain players do become just better. Individually, they become better, they become better with age because they are so fit. And I think Walker wants to carry on for another six years. Um, yeah. And looking at him at the moment, you go, well, yeah, he's probably got that in him. Yeah. Yeah, quite. Uh, right, well, uh, even after Tuesday, the only goal ever scored by Olympiacos at the Etihad Stadium was scored by Yaya Torre. It was pre-season in 2005 when the Greek side took part in City's regular warm-up competition, the Thomas Cook Trophy. Sam Roscoe leads a trip down memory lane to revisit those one-off ties against some European opposition. It started in 2004. The Thomas Cook Trophy is a nice little bit of tongue-in-cheek city humour that we're able to say, yeah, but have they lifted the Thomas Cook Trophy or is it as big as the Thomas Cook Trophy? That's City fan Adam Carter talking about the not-so-illustrious competition. It was staged for five years until its final outing at the beginning of 2008-2009. That day, City beat AC Milan 1-0 to lift the trophy for the third time. Richard Burns was at the match. I remember being a bit excited to watch us against AC Milan because they were, when you look at the, the other games that we played, Olympiacos, Porto and Lazio, they're all big teams, but none of them, I hope I'm not being disrespectful to them saying this, but none of them quite carry the, the weight of AC Milan. Certainly not at the point that we played AC Milan. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't so long after they'd been in Champions League finals and even won one. It was City's first win in the Thomas Cook Trophy for a few years as well. It was exciting to go to that game when we weren't used to seeing City against big European teams. And I remember Bojanov scoring and that was like, that was properly exciting because he scored a great goal and it felt like we really had something there, like he, he could have a big season and obviously uh, nothing really ever panned out of his time at City. City fan Dan Burke was also at that match and he also liked what he saw from the striker. I also remember being really impressed with Valery Bojanov when he scored against AC Milan and thinking he was going to be a top striker for years to come and the following week I think he got uh, a bad injury in the warm-up before the first game of the season away at Aston Villa and sadly that was pretty much it for his City career. It wasn't just new City players who were on show in these sorts of matches too. They always took place on Community Shield weekend largely because City were never league or cup winners at the time, so there was no danger of a fixture clash. And since City were still yet to compete in the Champions League, it was a chance to see them up against some top-tier European opposition. The pre-season games, when we kind of invited semi-decent European opposition, was like mind-blowing at that time as a City fan. You've got to think who we were used to playing in pre-season friendlies, and all of a sudden we were getting Barcelona, Olympiacos, Porto, Valencia... And I just never thought we'd see that calibre of opposition, certainly not around that time or any time soon. It was a kind of like a window into what a Champions League game might be like. That Barcelona game wasn't actually part of the Thomas Cup trophy. 
That was before the competition had been invented. I used to quite enjoy the Thomas Cook Trophy, actually. Um, obviously, we were never involved in the Community Shield in those days, and our European excursions weren't really worth getting excited about. So it was interesting to play against different teams and a nice way to warm up for the new season. Um, although I have to say, uh, after booking Barcelona to open the city of Manchester Stadium, the standard of opposition for those friendlies did deteriorate quite a bit in the following years. So I never felt particularly awestruck by the teams we were up against. For the first couple of seasons, it was actually named the Thomas Cook Cup, until somebody realised that that name is very difficult to say over the PA system and in a radio script. Therefore, it went about a subtle name change. It started with a 3-1 win over Lazio in 2004, and that was followed up by a 3-1 win over Olympiacos in 2005. 1-0 defeats to Porto and Valencia were the 2006 and 2007 outings before that victory over AC Milan in 2008. Dan Burke thought the games were an opportunity to see some big stars in other teams. I remember Olympiacos had Rivaldo playing for them when we played them. Um, that was quite exciting at the time. And uh, looking back at AC Milan's team sheet, actually, I was I was surprised by how star-studded it was. Um, they had the likes of Paolo Maldini, Gennaro Gattuso, Clarence Seydorf, Andrea Perlo all playing for them that day. Uh, when we played Valencia in, in Sven Goran Oetzen's first home game, like many City fans, I think I was more intrigued by the strangers who lined up in a City shirt that day than any of Valencia's players, to be honest. There was a similar feeling for Adam Carter. I remember the Porto game, I was like in awe of Ricardo Caresma, which is absolutely bizarre looking back, but I couldn't believe that he was on the same pitch as our players. I'd like to say I spotted David Silva scoring his first goal for Valencia, but I didn't really notice in that game, so I'd be lying if I jumped on the Silva hype that early on. Neda Manua played for City in that 2006 loss to Valencia, when the only goal of the game was scored by a 20-year-old David Silva. Little did we know he, like Torre, would go on to be a club legend for the home side. But Anua admits that he couldn't get close to the playmaker that afternoon. I just remember thinking, like, we thought we were going to be good at City, but oh lord, were they good. Do you know what he is? So he's he's a magician, as people will say, and the way he views the game and the way he plays the game is like you can't try and be it because you just you just not it. He just has something special. All of that said, the games were still pre-season friendlies and as such weren't always that great. The games themselves were actually quite naff looking back, and I think we look back at it with a bit more uh, sugar coated nostalgia than what it actually was, which was the other team didn't want to be there and we were trying to bed in and find, you know, bed in some new signings and things. And Dan agrees. The games were your typical pre-season friendlies, really. You know, both teams fielding 22 players each, um, all in the name of getting some extra match fitness in before the new season. I remember coming away from the wins against Lazio and Olympiacos and thinking City were in for a really good season, which unfortunately didn't end up being the case. It was just a pre-season friendly, but it was a pre-season friendly that had a trophy and a presentation ceremony attached to it. So was there any actual pride in winning the thing? Here's what Richard Burns thinks. I didn't take any pride in seeing City win it, I have to be honest. Um, it was always a joke to me. It was nice to win a friendly if you could say that you'd beat Milan, but in terms of winning the Thomas Cup trophy, nah. 
I didn't uh, I didn't take any pride from that. And it was the same for Dan Burke. I only ever took ironic pride in City winning it, really. Um, you know, I used to enjoy singing Thomas Cook Trophy. We've won it three times. Um, it, you know, it was so meaningless that they, they let Kiki Musampa lift it one year. And it used to make me laugh how they would always refer to it as the Thomas Cook Trophy final when everyone knew full well there were never any other rounds. City have since played other matches in that slot but it's never been the same since the match was moved for both marketing and footballing reasons to other countries with other sponsors on other weekends. Now that City regularly compete in the Champions League, there's also no longer any prestige in inviting a European side to East Manchester to contest an entirely pointless trophy. Hi, Colin Hendry, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So now time to look ahead at the game with Liverpool on Sunday. Um, we're joined for this part of the show by uh, Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. So hi, Neil. Um, it, it, it's a strange game, this one, isn't it? It is a little bit, yeah. It's it's sort of. It's, I think it might have come at the wrong time for both sides in a strange way. Uh, there's a lot going on. Um, I mean, it's our fourth tough game of the season in terms of how you write them down, and, and it's only our eighth one. So, you know, we've been to Stamford Bridge uh, and we've been to Goodison and we've also had uh, Arsenal. Uh, also, Leeds and Villa was no battle or laughs, uh, Villa especially. But, you know, I think it is, it's, it's come at a bit of a difficult time. I think both fa- both sides are still in different ways, sort of finding the feet and still solving a couple of problems. Uh, all of that said, I think that, you know, I think it's lined up to possibly be really rather a good game, uh, depending on how you rate good, uh, whether from a partisan <laughs> point of view or not. But I think it's, it's shaping up to, 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 to be a hell of a contest because I think both sides will feel there's, 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 there's definitely something there for them. Well, it's like you mentioned uh, Villa Park not being a barrel of laughs. I mean, you wouldn't have said at this stage of the season that City would have had a home 5-2 defeat and that uh, Liverpool would have had an away 7-2 defeat. It's just, it's been a bit of a mad one. It it has been a little bit of a mad one. Villa Park more and more does look like a little bit of an anomaly uh, from our point of view, at least. You know, it's easy to remember the fact that Chelsea go down to 10 men uh, at Stamford Bridge, but we were much the better side before. Then we started with a real edge and intent. You know, everyone takes away from the Goodison game, uh, the Van Dijk injury and the fact that there's the late disallowed goal, but we murdered Everton. Uh, We murdered them from the first whistle. The Van Dijk injury happened. They got themselves back in it a bit and then we murdered them again. Um, and we were really, really rather good and really rather impressive. Uh, the Arsenal game, you know, we conceded an early soft one, but then we're really quite good in that one as well. So, you know, the thing about Villa is it was such, a, such an outlier, such, such an anomaly, really, that it feels that way. But it was, I think, it was a real reminder as to what can go wrong for Liverpool for, for, for all sides who play how Liverpool and City play. But what can go wrong for Liverpool when, when it begins to go wrong and you don't stem the tide of it, you don't fix it quick you are open to getting battered, not necessarily 7-2, but you are open to maybe getting taught a bit of a lesson. And, and with a bit of luck, that will have taught Liverpool a little bit of a lesson. You know, they've got to, they've got to be on it for every minute of every game. Jack, it, it almost feels like there could be goals in this game, given that, you know, Liverpool haven't got Van Dijk, and, and, but they have got a great attack. And, you know, City, we know, have been defensively a bit all over the place for the last 18 months or so. But... City have tightened up in the last few weeks and City especially aren't scoring that many goals Champions League aside at the moment. No, I, t- I really, really don't know how it's going to go because um, ordinarily going into this game you'd say oh, there'll be tons of goals but I think it might be, not boring is a wrong word, but 
could be a little bit of a stalemate in midfield. I think um, City are looking far more solid with Diaz and Diaz and Laporte, um, and yeah, there isn't there isn't that kind of edge in the final third, is there? That they've had in previous years, and it's difficult to put your finger on on why. Uh, I think, to be honest, I think the the winner, if there is a winner, will be who deals with the first half an hour of the second half better. Because uh, I've not seen much of Liverpool live this, this year, but City really struggle after half time, and to, and then kind of find a second wind uh, late on. Because we saw that the other night. I mean. They, they got overran in in midfield by Olympiacos for twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, yeah. um, which is a product of. I think I think that's just still a hangover of not having a preseason because they had a week, didn't they? And Liverpool, you know, Liverpool didn't have have much either. I think those two teams are finding that those kind of fitness issues a real a real problem. Whereas the, I don't think the, the wider world really care, do they? They just see the results when actually it's quite obvious why they're not performing. I think I just on that. I think that in in all honesty, both Manchester clubs, to an extent, Wolves, to a slight extent, Chelsea as well, have been phenomenally sound about what's actually happened there. We got a bit of a preseason; it wasn't anywhere near as much as we'd like, but we at least had something to play with. What actually happens, I think, to both Manchester clubs, especially, is 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 genuinely ridiculous. They should have been given at least one more week to bed in and found a way and find a way to make it work. And and, and I think that. You know, I'm I am surprised that more of a fuss hasn't been kicked up, and I think it would be perfectly legitimate if it had been. John, do you think um, just looking at, at, at City and getting the goals? I mean, obviously Aguero is still unlikely to be ready for this game. Gabriel Jesus came back on on Tuesday night and and, and played the end of the game uh, with a recognised striker in the side. Is City more dangerous now? I I don't think they're more dangerous because we know how good Liverpool's attack is. I think the one thing we we would say is that it's almost flipped over the last six months in that you know Liverpool's defence was extremely strong, the strongest in the Premier League. A City had a great attack with Aguero, Sane, Sterling, you know, one of the one of the most probably the most fearsome attack at that twelve months ago. That's changed now with Salah and Mane in particular. I mean I I know a lot of Liverpool fans are, are uh, Big up Firmino. I think people outside Liverpool perhaps see he, him as not quite on the same level. Um, but obviously losing Van Dijk uh, and Matip were at the back, where City have now got Diaz and Laporte looking like they are potentially a really strong centre-back pairing. It's like it's flipped, flipped around. Um, so that's why it possibly could be a little bit tight because... City's defence is stronger. Liverpool's attack is their is their main threat, and the defence is a little bit weaker than it has been. Yeah, do you do you see Jesus starting on on uh, on Sunday, or do you reckon I, he'll go with Torres again? I'd be surprised if he would throw him straight back into a game like that after such a long time out. I mean, he did look very fresh. Uh, he looked right up for it, and it was a great finish for the goal. Um, but I would be surprised to see him start the game. So maybe Torres. I think Sterling's long been due a big performance against Liverpool. He's never really, particularly at Anfield, uh, with the fans there, found it. He's found it very tough. Um, so I think he's he's due a big performance against Liverpool. I think the goal in the Community Shield was his first, yeah, uh, last season. So um, yeah, there's, there's, without without Jesus, there's not too many goals around. So. 
Uh, he'll play a, a part at some point, but I wouldn't have thought he will start. I wonder whether he might be half tempted to play Sterling through the middle on on Sunday, because he was quite he was quite interesting in the press the other day, saying that Sterling, when they play against a low block, then they've got Sterling's best serves playing from the left because there's no space. But obviously Liverpool uh, come and play the will 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 go and play the normal normal game to a certain extent, uh, and there will be spaces in behind. So I just wonder whether Sterling might just be thrown through the middle. Uh, yeah. ahead of ahead of Torres particularly if if Jesus, if they can't get Jesus through kind of 60 70 minutes then that might be one to keep an eye on Neil how how do you feel about coming to the Etihad at the moment because we always talk about City's record against Liverpool and Anfield being being dreadful actually City have won the last three meetings between these two at, at the Etihad and it feels like I I I don't want to say a bogey ground at, at this stage already but it feels like like there might be something in that already what I, the way I feel about it is that I actually think we've performed in patches very well. Uh, I think the it, because of where it falls in the season immediately after Christmas, the actual game, uh, the first week of January in 2019, is one of the best games in Premier League football ever. Both sides are excellent throughout City edge it in the end. You know, but Liverpool have a goal, which isn't given because the ball's twelve millimeters away from being over the line. There's you know, there's a contentious uh, thing that company does during the game. Uh, it ends as a scramble and a scrap right in front of us at the Etihad. The atmosphere that day in that ground was brilliant, frankly. Um I, it was a it was a terrific game with two top sides. Um and so I you know, it's not like I don't feel as though Liverpool haven't performed. Even the four 0 where Liverpool's you know, Liverpool are, are poor in the aftermath of having won, won the league. They have really good chances for the first half an hour and just fail to take any of them. Uh, which is, you know, which was frustrating. Obviously, whilst the game was going, ahead, whilst the game was going on, but what it reminds you is Liverpool can create stuff on the Etihad. You know, we've got the there's the five no when there's the sending off, but in amongst there as well, there is the Champions League win where we go there and we, you know, we we hold out first half and we perform well second. So it doesn't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like we're going there and we're never going to get anything. You know, there's a part of me that almost feels a little bit like we might just be due, due certainly due to the bounce of the ball a tiny little bit, but. Ultimately, you know, it's going to be a remarkably difficult place to go. And basically, this is our toughest game of the season. It's happening right now. This is, this is, uh, you know, if you if you ask me to rank what is Liverpool's hardest game of the season away at Manchester City is just our hardest game. And it, it's almost irrelevant, you know, to talk about when, you know, Leicester go there and score five or, you know, any, any other defeats that there's been at the Etihad in the last 12 months. They're irrelevant. This is as hard as it gets for Liverpool. So, you know, I'm not going, you know, I'm not full of confidence or anything like that. But the one thing I would say is I think Liverpool have at least had patches in games where they could have scored and they've had a couple of performances where they've shown a load, a load of courage for the whole of the 90 minutes and they've not sort of backed down to the challenge of City, even if, you know, they split those games 50-50 between the one we win in the Champions League and the one where we get beat at the start of January uh, in 2019. Jack, do you think City, will, uh, in a weird way, will be relishing this game? Because, like you say, Liverpool aren't going to play in a style that they've been facing a lot at the Etihad recently. Uh, I think relish is probably the wrong word, given they've not really hit the ground running yet, have they? I bet, it, Neil, is, is Phillips going to play, do you think? No, no, he'll play. I think Matip will play. I'd be amazed if Matip isn't fit. So I think Matip. I think he's just come. The, the Matip issue isn't whether or not Matip can play ninety minutes. It's what then happens to his body for the next two weeks, seemingly. So I suspect if Matip had needed been needed last weekend or at Atalanta, he could have played. But the point is, if he'd have played in either of them, he may not then have been able to play the Etihad. So I'd be really surprised. I genuinely would be surprised if Matip doesn't start. The old Benjamin Mendy issue. Well, yeah, less said about that, the better. I <laughs> um, yeah, I. Uh, I don't think it's a particularly 
good or bad time to be playing Liverpool. It's, just, it, it, it's like any any question about this season. You just, like nobody knows, do they? This, this is the this is the problem. It's difficult predicting anything, um, just because of the scenario that we find ourselves in at the moment, and and all of that. The, all the wider issues in the Premier League seem to be amplified at City at the moment because of what I said before about the preseason and the injuries and everything else that goes with it. I I don't know. It's di- it's it's difficult. I don't I don't think they would. I don't think they're going to be relishing it, but they can certainly get a result if the if they find some cutting edge in the final third. Yeah, John, we we touched on uh, Diaz and Laporte. Uh, is is that enough? Is that partnership now enough to be to be able to cope with the sort of attacking threat that Liverpool will pose? Because, I mean, it's it, it's looked good in the last few games. I mean, obviously uh, Olympiacos was was Torres and it was uh, Ake and, and Stones, but uh, but you know what I mean. It, it feels like it's so much more settled at the moment. Yeah, it is in the centre of the defence. It's the fullbacks which are the issue. Will, well, left back. I mean, Walker started the season superbly. Diaz Laporte looked very good. Left back is still an issue. Cancelo has done okay. Uh, there were moments against Sheffield United. Well, I mean, their, their one chance came when Cancelo was weak. Uh, he was nutmegged. The ball was pulled back, and it went over the bar. So, you know, they've got to be. He's got to be strong if he starts. I, I think he will be the the one that starts at left back. Um, and obviously, in front of the back four is Rodri. He's had a, again. Bit of a mixed start to the season, you know. At times, you feel like he's really getting to grips with the position because it's such a key uh, role in Guardiola's side. You know, he, he, Barcelona were, were Busquets was central to everything they were doing, and same at uh, Bayern Munich with Lam. Um, you know, he switched him from fullback into that central midfield role because it was so important. And Fernandinho is is the has been a master at it for City for a long time, and. Rodri's still young, still learning the position, and it's such a big responsibility. And it's it's one that sometimes good sides can play it around him. So whether he goes with, I mean, I don't think he'll go with two sort of defensive midfield pivots. But could he put Fernandinho? I mean, Fernandinho isn't there, but he, could he put Gundogan there instead? Yeah, that's he could play someone in a sort of auxiliary defensive midfield role, someone who can get forward, but. Uh, a little bit, a little bit more of a safety net, uh, rather than going all out. You know, with sort of De Bruyne and and Bernardo or De Bruyne and Foden. You know, maybe 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 Foden starts as a, on the left hand side of a front three because the other thing, obviously, we all know about Liverpool is their wing, wingers, wing backs play like wingers. Uh, you know, they're an absolute attacking threat, and I don't think you can go with Mares in a game like this. I think it has to be. Probably Foden on one side and Sterling on the other. Yeah. Um, just talking on defenses, Neil. How how is life without Virgil Van Dijk? Because we this was the, what this was your big fear from that show we did at the start of the season yeah. that that they'd be out they'd be without him for the season. Yeah. He, ultimately, we've dropped five yards, uh, maybe a little bit more, um, and we dropped a little bit more during the game as well. It's worth remembering Virgil plays in the seven-two uh, of Villa. You know, he's captain that day, I think. And we'd conceded, you know, we'd conceded two on a number of occasions, two or more on a number of occasions since the 1st of February. We don't come back from the winter break that well, uh, going right away back to February and then post-lockdown as well. You know, City put four past us. We go to Arsenal, we concede two there. Uh, there's a couple of other places where we concede a couple. We get we win 3-1 at Brighton, but Brighton really should should score a couple of goals that day. So we've been 
you know, we've been pushing the line, we've been pushing the defending, we've been as front foot as it's, it's possible to be. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd much rather have Virgil van Dijk, but I think what it's done is Liverpool have been a lot more responsible uh, as a unit since Van Dijk's gone out. It's not the idea, well, it's all all right, you've got the cheat code playing next to you. You know, you've got that fella behind you who's so good. There's been a little bit more, I think, of Liverpool acting as a, defending as a team, helping each other out. I mean, Phillips gets man of the match for the game against West Ham. He wasn't man of the match. He won his battles and he was, you know, he was very competitive. But what he also had all the way through the game was someone just next to him, someone just to help him at any given moment. And Liverpool, Liverpool have done and do do that really well in a number of different places around the pitch. So, obviously, life with Van Dijk is tougher, but, you know, we've got nine points in the Champions League group. We're top of the table. Um, you know, we're, as I said before, four of our, if you write down our fixtures in terms of their difficulty, three of our top eight uh, we play, will have played by closer play on Sunday um, and four of our top sort of 12 will have played by then as well. So, you know, we're, we are doing okay, uh, but there will, come some, there will come points where it's difficult in Van Dijk's absence. But the other thing it does as well is it just creates an absolute knife edge for everyone else. Gomez gets the occasional knock here and there. Matip, as I said before, there's questions around his recovery. Fabinho does well at centre-half, but he's not used to it, and the injury, I think, stems from that. We could do without another injury to the goalkeeper, of which there's been a fair few across the last 18 months. And we need, we need both fullbacks to stay healthy as well. So it does put a lot of stress on, and we're only we're only really one more injury away from a genuine crisis, which is much more than missing the best centre-half in the world, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, just looking at, uh, at City's attack, John, um, could, I, I mean, I, I know we're only in uh, early part of the season and it's six games, but do you know the last time that City was still in single figures for uh, for, for number of goals scored after six games? Um, it must have been Alan Ball. No, it's not quite that bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we're going all the way. We're going back to 2010, uh, Roberto Mancini's first season in charge. I mean, that, it just goes to show that at the minute that City aren't scoring a lot of goals right now. No, uh, but I think we've touched on this already. It goes back to no pre-season. Uh, you know, it's extraordinary circumstances we're going through. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's weird at the ground. You know, I was, I, I was against Olympiacos in midweek, at 1-0, uh, that's the game that City would have gone on and won 4-5-0 in the past two, three seasons. But, I mean, they missed chances, which they they always have done. But the uh, the way that Olympiacos sort of held in there and came back, it just was, I think that can be put down to what's going on at the moment. So, I don't think it's overly concerning. They're not going to get close to the 100 goals that they've had uh, two out of the last three seasons, but this is just a season unlike any other. You know, those yeah. are, that's where we're at. I think there's that, but I think there's that. But just one other quick thing on this: Liverpool and City. We've we've all faced Arsenal, Sheffield United, and West Ham before. These are teams who every week play. You know, uh, for West Ham and Arsenal, for me, it's five four one. For Sheffield United, it's five three two. De facto, watch. We played West Ham last week, and they've got that back five. They've got then in front of them Suchek and Rice, who, by the way, if you dropped either of them into centre half, you wouldn't think it was mad. They're both six foot four. They're absolute units. So you've got seven players to deal with there. And I actually think Liverpool and City, I expect them both to be strong second half of the season because I think they're transitioning a little bit. This idea of being able to get round the back and hit the byline and then go from there, which City have been brilliant at, I think sides are making that harder and harder. I think you're going to see more of Liverpool and City just going through the middle. So the goal Liverpool scored to win the game against West Ham, where they they 
basically say, all right, imagine the pitch is now a 30 by 30 square right in front of your penalty area and we'll play you 6v6. And we've got better players. So the question is whether or not we run out of time. And I think that's what you're going to start to see from Manchester City as well when they're coming up against these sides. It's okay, you're defending this space really, really well. Well, we're going to do this now. And you're going to have to put up with us continually trying to go over you in the middle of the goal or through you with a through ball in the middle of the goal. And you're going to have to put up with this over and over again. Because if you just want to sit there with seven players, then this is what we're going to do. And we're going to get the better of you eventually. Yeah. Uh, final question for this game. Uh, Jack, how, how much of an influence do you think that uh, game in hand is having for City right now? Because uh, obviously, you know, City win it and they're, they're two points behind Liverpool come what may. And then if, if they beat Liverpool at, at weekend and then take the three points from that game in hand, they're above them. So it's like, is, is, are we already in must win or must not lose territory? Or is it's, it a must just... not, it's definitely a must not lose. Yeah. They, they can't go eight behind with a game in hand after seven games. I, I don't, I know it's, We've said it a few times already, haven't we? That it's a strange season, but you can't go that far behind already because it's just such an uphill task. Um, which makes me think that City will not be conservative, but kind of recycle the ball even more than they normally do. A bit cagey, because um, he's he's been pleading for patience on the ball for weeks and weeks. And I think they're going to try and be really, really patient, and if they can carve a proper chance out and take it then that'll do them this is the blue moon podcast but don't worry it'll be over soon Right, well, time to check in with the charity bet. Each of the panel is getting a £10 correct score single on City's games from William Hill. And the winnings are going to the Christie, a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester. So far, we've raised £170 with the unlikely 125 to 1 shot against Olympiacos not coming off. Uh, let's get some predictions on the board for City against Liverpool. Um, John, I'm going to start with you. What have you got? I've gone for a 2 1 City win. 2 uh, 1 City win is 8 to 1 and £80 if you're right. Jack, what are you having? Two all, I'm going for. Despite saying it might be ages. <laughs> uh, two all is ten to one, so hundred pounds if you're right. And Neil, let's, uh, I'll, I'll give you mine because I'm rubbish at it. So off you go. Uh, just out of interest, I'll take the bigger price out of a nil-nil. That's very similar to the eighth game of the eighteen nineteen season when City came to Anfield uh, and not much happened until the late penalty. Uh, so I'll take the bigger price out of that nil-nil or two-one Liverpool because obviously we want to raise money for the for the charity. So whichever one of those is the bigger price, I'll take. Right, well, uh, a 2-1 Liverpool win is 10-1, to 1, and a 0-0 draw is 16-1. to 1. So you'll, you'll have the 0-0 draw. I'll take the 0-0 draw, uh, and everyone can think, my God, I'm mad, but I reckon, I reckon that could actually be value. Lovely stuff. Right, 160 quid if you're right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begamblerware.org. Neil, thank you very much for joining us today. An absolute pleasure as always. And, and let's just all enjoy the game on Sunday because, God, we've got nothing else to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, City's home games against Liverpool have been pretty good recently. But there was one home game with Liverpool that might stick out in fans' memories for all the wrong reasons. We're going back nearly 25 years to the final day of 1995-96. Here's the picture. City were in the relegation zone on goal difference. Going into the match, they knew that if they got a better result than one of Southampton or Coventry, or if they won and Sheffield Wednesday lost, it would be enough to survive. 
All three of those teams drew, leaving the door open for City to stay up. But City also drew, coming from 2-0 down to level at 2-all. With only a few minutes left, Duff Information got to the bench and manager Alan Ball believed that the result was enough for survival and he encouraged the players to waste time by the corner flag until Niall Quinn sprinted from the tunnel to explain that they were still going down. Kit Simons scored the equaliser that day. He's been speaking to me about that game. But first, he talks us through how the move to City came about at the beginning of that season. I'd been sort of made my mind up. I was, I was going to leave Portsmouth um, once Jim Smith had been sacked as manager. Um, I've been there for like eight years. Um, I was linked with a few clubs, talked to Sheffield Wednesday, a um, couple of other clubs, Blackburn I was linked with. Um but the actual move to City sort of came a bit out of the blue, so to speak. I, would, I played the first game of the season for Portsmouth because obviously the championship started a week before the Premier League. So we had a home game at Fratton Park. I came home from the game, we'd, we'd won. Um, was obviously all quite pleased with myself. And then um, got a phone call from Alan Ball. Um, City had played their last pre-season friendly, which I think was against Hearts, and they lost 5-0. Um, and he phoned me up that night, just said, listen, I want to make changes. I want to." Um, sort of bring in reinforcements. Can you come up on Monday? And and that was it, really. So I jumped on a plane Monday morning, met Matt Borley at, in Platt Lane at the training ground and, and sort of signed straight away. So I, I travelled up with a with a toothbrush, I think, and that was about it, and, and didn't go back um, to Portsmouth for quite, quite a few weeks after that. So it was all a little bit of a whirlwind and uh, all happened quite quickly. In terms of, uh, I mean, obviously you were you were club captain at City for a while. Were you offered the captaincy straight away? No, no. Well, I, obviously I signed in the Premier League and um, it was a big transitional time, obviously. I think people can see that now um, at the club at the time. And a lot of players were leaving, but there were still quite a few established senior pros there. So Curly, Keith Curl. Um, was captain at the time, so he he stayed on as captain. And people like obviously Noel Quinn was there as well. Um, so a lot of good experience, sort of senior pros, Terry Phelan, Peter Beagley, players like this. Uh, although, like I say, the changes were certainly afoot at the time. I was going to say the uh, the start of that ninety five ninety six season. I mean, as a new signing, it probably couldn't have gone much worse, could it? <laughs> Well, the first game, I mean, we you know we played Tottenham at Main Road and drew one all, and I thought you know that's, we're we're sort of quite a competitive side. We seemed like there was a, a, a you know decent nucleus of senior players there, um, but yeah, like I said, pretty much after that, it, it it was it was a real slog, and obviously we didn't win for what was it twelve, thirteen games, whatever it was in the end. I can't remember, and it, it was it was very very tough. Um, but I, I don't think I felt it initially quite as much as most other people because I was new into it. Uh, so I was still very much finding my feet with the, the football club and uh, and the city in general and, and things like that. So I don't think I, I sort of had the the doom and gloom and the, the weight on my shoulders quite as much as a lot of other people with the club who'd been there for quite a long time um, did. So... Yeah, it was, it, it, but it's, you know, soon after after a while, it sort of starts to hit you, and you you get the magnitude, the size of the club, and um, obviously with being a, a sort of two club city, you then get the the papers. It's all about City or United, literally, and um, there's there's lots of stuff always going on, and then so I, I did appreciate it 
pretty quickly just how tough it was it was going to be. When when it comes to to the end of that season, obviously the the, the final day. Um, what just talk me through what 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 happened on the pitch that day because it's it's it, in many ways it's an extraordinary story. Uh, David, I can't. I still to this day don't quite know what went on that final day. Obviously, we, we went into the last game, Liverpool, uh, Main Road, knowing we we were on the same points as Coventry and Southampton, um, but they both had better goal difference than us. So we knew we had to better either one of their results um, to stay up. It was as simple as that going into the final day. So we sort of knew what we had to do. Um, and then obviously we go a couple of goals down quite early on. And again, it's you can feel the weight sort of lifting, and then um, we get a goal back, and then and then I score the equaliser to make it two-two. Uh, and then at this stage, somehow, and again, it was obviously this is back in '95, whatever '96. Then so uh, you know, mobile phones were about, but not to the same levels as they are today, and. But somehow we were getting information was being fed to to the manager to get fed onto the pitch that a draw was enough for us. Because I remember, you know, everyone's seen the Lomi, Stevie Lomas sort of killing time on the on the touchline, trying to trying to run the clock down. Um when the the reality was we needed to score another goal. We needed to win the game to stay up. But the misinformation somehow. Then I can remember Quinny, who I think he must have been injured, Quinny or suspended, um, sort of running down the stairs. Somehow he found out we needed to win and he's given information we need to try and score another goal. So it was it's all still to this day, like I say, I, I can't tell you exactly what happened, how it happened, or why it happened, but it was it, it was horrific. I know that. And obviously at the final whistle then, I, I can't remember one of the games, I think it was a Coventry one was a delayed kickoff. So we're sitting in the tunnel at Main Road, not knowing if we're up or down and we're still waiting to hear the, the final results. We knew Southampton had drawn, um, but we didn't know the, the other result. And we were waiting on that and it was it was a hot, it felt like ages. It was probably five, six minutes or something we were waiting in the tunnel, but it felt like an eternity. And then obviously we got the news that, um, that yeah, that the result hadn't gone our way and, and we were relegated. I was going to say, with with the the Duff information getting to the pitch, the, there must have been a spell where you thought your goal had, had been enough to keep City up. Well, there was, and you try, like I say, you try and stay focused and things like this. But you know, I, I'd equalised, and it does flash through your mind. You know, this I, I could have been sort of like the hero on the final day, that you know, my goal had, had kept City in the Premier League, sort of thing. So that does flash through your mind. But then you try and put that out of your mind and focus on. On finishing the game, but I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, it did it did sort of flash through, and you sort of can't help it in those situations. And um, yeah, what could have been type thing is um, obviously things didn't then quite pan out as I would have wanted, either for the for the club or for myself. Yeah, how how was the dressing room after that game? Because it, it I mean, it, it's a roller coaster of emotions that has ended badly. Yeah, it was it was horrific. It was. Um, yeah, I mean, people. Yeah, people tell stories about changing rooms after games, but and it's hard. It's very, very difficult to describe until you've actually sort of experienced it and been been part of it. It's very difficult to describe. Obviously, it was a very sombre dressing room, and everyone's got their own personal feelings and 
what's going through their mind personally, but then you, you look at the bigger picture. Certainly I did for the for the, the club and the supporters and what it means to all these other people as well. You've, you know, you feel you've let different sections of, you know, people down, family, friends, the, you know, the supporters, the football. It's horrible. It's, it's, and, but like I say, it is very difficult to describe unless you've actually been through it and, and experienced it yourself. Now, listen, as, as fans, it, it's horrible, you know, I'm, I'm sure, but it's, um, it's different to when you're actually a, a player. And now the, the people, um, you know, some people say footballers don't care and things like that. Well, well, trust me, a lot of, most footballers in my case do care deeply. Now, sometimes they care about themselves, maybe more than the, the actual football club that, that, that pays their wages and, and the supporters that turn up every week, but they care deeply. Now, Certainly in that change room, there was very mixed emotions and everyone was, was feeling it for their own, their own different reasons or whatever. And it was, it was just a horrific place to be. And I remember the, the following night, we had player of the year do. So you just are turning up for that. And the fans, City fans, as you know, are, in, are incredible. But I think, and, and they've had obviously so much success in recent years and, I, I, you know, I couldn't, wish it on a better better club or a better group of supporters. But and City fans have been brilliant. I'm, I'm sure they've really enjoyed that success. But I think City fans really show their true colours and come to their own in, in diversity in tough times. And I've got to say that it was horrible having to turn up for the play of the year do the following night. But the City, City supporters were brilliant. Absolutely different class. Hear all of our City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Kit Simons speaking to me there. And the second part to that interview will be on next week's show. Uh, John, just quickly before we move on, were you at that game? Uh, the, the Liverpool 2 all on the final day? Yeah, I was. And um, I wasn't aware of the incident with Niall Quinn coming out and, and everything uh, until years later, actually, because I just... Didn't, wa- didn't watch match of the day, I guess. No, yeah. no. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was completely unaware that, that any of that had happened for a long time. Yeah. How, how do you look back on it now um, when you think of where, like, like the fact that it's all turned out all right for City? Can, like, can you look back at it and laugh? <laughs> but at the time, it was terrible. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. Uh, it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Um, send your questions in on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. You can also send us a message on Instagram. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast there. Um, Adam Billings has been in touch on the emails to say, what did you think of the players on show in the FA Youth Cup final? Which players stand the best chance of making it at City? Um, Jack, were you there? No, I wasn't there, but I did watch it. Yeah, uh, I think there was only one member of the press there, which was Simon Bukowski from the MEN. So credit to him. Um, <laughs> well, done, well done, Simon. It was very, very cold and windy, apparently. Uh, I wasn't there, but I was very impressed. Thought they were thought they were excellent. Um, the vast majority of them have got a got a chance of making uh, careers in the or getting careers in the Premier League. I think um, credit credit to the. The club and the and the and the coaching throughout the academy really that they've that quite a lot of those players have come through a good number of years at City. I know like you know Rogers and Delap were a fairly recent signings, but um, Doyle, Howard Bellis, um, and Bette 
slicker have been there for a good number of years now. Um, and it looks, I don't know, it, it looks bright. Um, and it's difficult to pick out the absolute standouts because I thought as a team they were, they were excellent. Yeah, John, it's um, it's one of those competitions where um, you only really pay attention to it when your team gets to the final sort of thing. Um, City have been City have been desperate to win it for for a while, haven't they? Yeah, and I thought they completely deserved it. Um, yeah, I, I watching watch finals between City and Chelsea over the years, and you go go back a couple of years when Foden, Sancho, and Diaz were playing for City, and Chelsea had. Uh, Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham and Solanke and Chelsea were a lot better. Uh, even even those great City players, well, you know, City players that were City players at the time who've gone on to be really good players. Well, I thought they actually deserved it, completely deserved it on Monday night. It was a really, really enjoyable game. I thought it was a really great game to watch. Uh, some really exciting City players. I thought t- Tommy Doyle Ran the midfield, uh, Cole Palmer, absolutely love watching him play. So stylish, full of just uh, just a really gifted player, yeah. a really natural player. Um, and there's the, the, the two centre-halves are, you know, I, we talked about Eric Garcia and he, you think, you do think, well, he wants to leave the club. Howard Bellis is a year behind in his development and you think, you know, just, He's got much more of a of a chance of a future at City, so why not just sort of bypass Garcia now and he's gone and go with Harwood Bellis. Uh Bete is he he's two years the, behind. He's the real deal and Bete. He looks sens- incredible. Sensational, yeah. Uh but just all over, just every player in that side looks very, very good. Do you see? Do you see much opportunity for them in games like League Cup games this season, given how packed the schedule might be, Jack? Well, the, well, the League Cup's effectively done now, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, they're into the quarterfinals now, aren't they? So, um, how about the, how about the FA Cup then? In that in that case, yeah, I do, I do. I think I certainly think Palmer, uh, Harwood, Bellis, Doyle, uh, Delap. Are going to get chances again. Um, I think they, some of the, some, as John said, like you look at Mbete, Mbete is only just turned seventeen. And he, those sort of players aren't going to get a chance. But the ones at the top of the, or the older ones and, and the, the more advanced ones in the group are going to get opportunities. I think that's kind of it, it's been all overlooked a little bit with Pep the last couple of years, really, since Foden's got in. There have been opportunities for these younger players. And they are fleeting and they don't get a run in the team, but they are playing in the cup competitions. He's given a number of debuts to to teenagers now, uh, with Palmer and, and Delap being the latest. And Nemechi uh, on, uh, on, on Tuesday night. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, is slightly older, and Nemechi's 20, I think. Um, so, I'd, yeah, not, it'd be interesting to see what happens with, with Nemechi because you would have thought that Nemechi might have gone out on loan this year. Um, but I mean, they've just got all the. This is this is the thing, right? We're talking about these like five or six. We've not even mentioned Hodge. I mean, Hodge was great on Monday night. I thought he was really, really good in the middle of midfield. Um, McAtee as well was was McAtee, yeah, completely forgot. Yeah, well, I mean, McAtee will be the next one that gets his gets his debut, I think. Um, but 
beneath them, they've got some like really, really good players that obviously didn't didn't play Monday night. I mean, Alex Robertson in midfield is a year younger than than those than, than that group. He got on in the semi final and, and the final. Um, he's a very hard working midfielder. He's got a lot of quality on the ball. They've made some a number of signings of players that are kind of 16, 17 in recent months. So you'll see you'll see them in the next youth cup. And it might be that two or three of them make a make an impression and end up actually overtaking some of the ones that in a first team point from a first team point of view end up overtaking some of the ones that are in the in the squad on, on Monday. So it's a really I think it's a really exciting time for City in, in the Academy. I did Jason Wilcox last week, uh, the Academy director, and he he's just you can just tell that they just feel like they're in a really, really good place with it. Yeah. And they, they and you can't let's be honest, you've not been able to say that with City for a, a good while. I don't think they've been in a place where they've wanted to be for for a while. And now they're, they're seeing these these guys coming through that all right, how many of them can make it a city? I don't know, two or three possibly. But they firmly believe that the rest of them are gonna are gonna get carve carve out top flight careers, yeah, which, good solid which is careers great. as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's it for today's Blooming Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget you can support the show with something as simple as giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that accepts reviews of podcasts generally. Uh, if you'd like to help us out further, then you can support the show on Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Podcast, and if you back $2, $5, or $10 per month, you'll get access to all of our back catalogue of bonus shows, plus the new ones each week as well. This week's episode is the common links between City and Liverpool. Thanks to my two guests, Jonathan Smith. Thank you. And Jack Gorn. Thank you. I'll be back next week and I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.